Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. So, Father Jeffrey, when is the first time we see Psalm 103 being used, either liturgically in general or in Vespers in particular? The first thing to note is that evidence of specific liturgical practice in the early church is really scanty indeed. So we don't have a lot of evidence of things that we presume were going on. And certainly we know that early Christians would have been doing what Jews had been doing, which is to say, turning to the book of Psalms as their prayer book. We know that in the book of Acts, even it refers to the apostles and the new Christians getting together and doing together the prayers. And what those prayers are all about, we don't have any content for but we can well imagine it was in continuity with what went before. So the fact that the Psalms were used as the main songbook, the main book of prayers amongst Jews in the first century would have continued into the church itself. So we have no specific evidence about Psalm 103. So we can sort of inquire about how it has been used in Jewish tradition a little bit. And the association with evening is not one that is in evidence. This is a particular thing that we find today in the Eastern Orthodox or Byzantine rite of of the church, but it's almost uniquely there that the fact that it is the opening or invitation psalm of, of the evening worship service, the first service of the day, is not something we have a great amount of evidence for outside of the Orthodox church. Psalm 103 today is used by Jews as part of their morning prayers. And that outside of the Orthodox rite, it's used in, in different places by other Christians, but not specifically in the evening. We do, however, have a reference in the early church to a liturgy or a rite of liturgies in the West, in the south of Gaul. And there's a writer called Caesarius who in the year 503 speaks about the use of Psalm 103. And he specifically mentions, I'll read this to you, uh, he's talking about the practice of evening prayer in Gaul. So this would have been the 5th into the 6th century. And he writes this, Dearly beloved brethren, that psalm which is recited in both churches and monasteries throughout the whole world at the 12th hour, so that would be about sunset, right? Is so well known to almost everyone that the majority of humankind have it by heart. As you know, that psalm contains the sun knows its setting, and you bring darkness and it is night. That's verses 19 to 20. Now what the psalmist said, the sun knows its setting, is not to be taken concerning that sun, but with regard to the one of whom the prophet says, for those who fear your name, there will arise the sun of justice with healing in its wings. And he goes on to explain that the sun who sets in the psalm that we refer to is principally a reference to Christ and and his crucifixion and the fact that the whole world is darkened and all animals go and seek their place of rest 
text and so forth. He, he talks about that being a symbol of what happens in the crucifixion and death of Christ, that the whole earth gets dark and, you know, every creature cowers in, in fear and so forth. So it's an interesting reference. The symbolism of that we'll explore a little bit more when we talk about light and dark and the symbolism of Christ as the light and so forth. But it's that first part where he talks about the fact that the whole world does this and everybody knows it by heart. Well, I mean, statements like that have to be taken with a grain of salt, I think. But certainly in this time in Gaul, in the West, the psalm was known to be part of the, the, the evening worship. Right. So this is kind of the earliest reference we have to the association of this psalm, you know, with the evening. Caesarius is writing that in the sometime in the sixth century, I think you said. Yeah, the beginning of the sixth century. And he obviously assumes that everyone is doing this everywhere. Basically, what, what are some of the historical circumstances that, that would have led to its placement there? Or are we just sort of assuming uh, that based on the theme, it would go in the evening. Well, that's just the thing. We have no idea whatsoever about uh, the reasoning behind that. If you go across the whole of the Psalter, there are various Psalms that refer to morning, you know, to rising early at dawn and praising God or rising even in the night in the watch hours and praising God. There, there aren't that many references to sunset, to evening, although this Psalm also talks about the morning. Right. And so you can imagine it makes sense, as I said earlier, Jews use this as a morning prayer. There aren't that many psalms that you could say are appropriate as an evening one. And so the fact, the very fact that it talks about the sun setting, making darkness and it is night when all the animals of the forest come creeping out. Although there is also this reference to the sun rising after, it was probably the logical choice. So I think in the first instance, we have to imagine that it was for no other reason than that there's a reference to evening and to sunsetting. It's that whimsical, possibly. And then every other reason we're going to give for it possibly being in the service at this point in time would be a rationale, a justification later. And maybe it actually then becomes the basis of this idea that, you know, the service begins with creation, you know, and then we'll move into fall and redemption and so forth, which is a kind of standard way of analyzing the Byzantine rite of, of Vespers. But the very fact that there's this reference to, to evening is probably why it gets, you know, set here. Because we've talked before, there's the fixed psalms that are placed in different parts of the liturgy of the hours, evening or in the middle of the night or the morning, or indeed psalms of, you know, the third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour. The ones that were fixed there probably had some thought put into it, as opposed to that continuous reading of the Psalter that we have by which any psalm could come up at any point in time, and it wouldn't matter if it was evening and you were talking about morning or vice versa. So some thought went into this, and I suspect it was that reference to evening that that made it uh, you, you know, ubiquitous in Caesarius's mind, but certainly became the mainstay of the Byzantine rite of Vespers to this day. And so it, uniquely in Vespers in the Eastern Orthodox Church, we have this psalm opening every Vesper service. One of the claims would be then that in Orthodox services, a fixed psalm, so a psalm that always appears at that particular point in the service, likely has much more thought put into its thematic poetry and purpose than psalms or biblical passages that are read as part of a continuing changing cycle. 
Well, yeah. I mean, th- th- we know that that is a fact, that continuous reading of, of the Psalter doesn't follow an unchanging schedule. So that actually this Psalm, Psalm 103, you know, within the division of the Psalter into sets of readings that are read continuously, this is actually part of what's called Cathisma 14. It's the second stasis of Cathisma 14. So throughout the year, that will be read at different times, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evening, but it's it, there's no more thought given to those than that you're just reading one after the other. Whereas the fixed ones, particularly the ones in the larger, you know, more important services like Vespers and Matins, some thought went into it. Initially, that thought may have been nothing more than, oh, look, there's a reference to the sun setting, and this is precisely what we're celebrating, so let's put it in. And then out of that comes everything else, serendipitously, because it's a beautiful place to start. If you if you were going to set a play or a production into action, the first thing you do is give the backdrop or the scenery, the kind of stage on which the action is going to take place. You know, every playwright does that every producer or director of of a film does that, every novelist does that. Well, what better place than this beautiful hymn of creation to start the praise of God in the liturgical day than to start with this, this backdrop, which, as we've said before, kind of is a doxology to the transcendent creator who yet cares intimately about every creature in his creation. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public aspect of our overall project. For those interested, we actively post new episodes on our private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate, discuss, and disagree about open and sometimes controversial theological questions. To get access to these episodes and to join our online community, you can become a patron of the show. We can only continue this work through the generous financial support of our listeners. To become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and select which tier of support you wish. Again, that's patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. And now back to the show. I'm wondering, as the story develops of Psalm 103 being used in evening worship, do we know of any situations in which other psalms were used in evening worship or of Psalm 103 being used in different contexts as well? Well, certainly by the time the Byzantine rite of, of the Liturgy of the Hours that we have today was being crystallized and it came it's a whole discussion of how that came into being, but it had roots in the cathedral services of Constantinople, also in the monastic services of the monasteries in Palestine, and then eventually came together in the quasi-city monasticism of, of Constantinople under people like St. Theodore the Studite and so forth. But as, as all those different traditions were coming together, by that point, it's clearly fixed. Psalm 103 is the opening psalm of Vespers, and it's unchanging. There is only one time in the year when we celebrate Vespers without starting with Psalm 103, and that is during Bright Week, where we drop all psalms altogether for that entire week. And that's a whole discussion as to why we would do that. But certainly every other 
Vespers, which is actually rather interesting when you think about it, whether it's the daily simple Vespers where no really important or prominent saint is being celebrated, no great themes or feasts of the day or whatever, we start with Psalm 103. If we're celebrating the Vespers on the eve of Holy Saturday, on, on Holy Friday afternoon, which is the burial of our Lord and the powerful themes that climax Holy Week in that, we start Vespers with Psalm 103. So that entire range of different services of Vespers, which have different characters, some are more sung, some are more chanted straight or even spoken in, in certain Orthodox traditions. Regardless of that, we've always got that psalm at the beginning. Although that said, in the high services, the high feasts, uh, vigil services where Vespers gets joined together with matins and first hour to form what's called the all-night vigil, very often the presentation of that psalm, it's still there, but the presentation of it takes on a different and more festive sung character than it would in a daily service. But the point is, it's still the same psalm. Would you be able to comment a bit about the context of evening worship in other Christian traditions and whether or not psalm 103 factors into any of those? Yeah, so this is the interesting thing about Caesareus of Arles, who says that thing at the beginning of the 6th century. We have absolutely no evidence outside of him that outside of the Byzantine rite, Psalm 103 was ever used liturgically. So whether he is, you know, reflecting a very local practice, but has heard of what's going on in the Christian East, because there were a lot of connections between the south of France and Gaul and, and, and the Christian East. We know that it you know, wasn't that long before then that someone like St. John Cassian, who went from being the deacon to St. John Chrysostom, you know, went and founded monasteries in Gaul and so great places like Larens and, and so forth. So there was a real connection, abiding connection between Gaul or Gallic Church, the Celts who were there, and the Christian East. So whether Caesarius is talking about that, we don't know. But if certainly there's no evidence outside of that Psalm 103 is just not associated with, with evening worship or indeed with regular worship at all. I mean, obviously it's known, it's part of the continuous reading cycle and so forth, but in the Latin rite, it's Psalm 103 really only factors into Holy Saturday. It's used uh, in the Holy Saturday liturgy, but you know, outside of that, doesn't have a regular role to play. Which is unlike, for example, when we eventually get around to talking about matins, some of those morning psalms. They have almost absolute ubiquity in terms of the their prevalence in in worship east and west and and so forth, or even something like, you know, using uh, the canticles of the scriptures and so forth. But Psalm 103 seems uniquely to have found its place in the evening worship of the Eastern Church. I want to pick up a line of questioning based on what you said earlier in the podcast, talking about how Psalm 103 is presented. There seems, uh, even within Orthodoxy, there are a wide variety of traditions regarding chanting, music, singing, even the amount of services you do. Can you comment a bit about the different ways that the psalm is presented at various times of the year or in various different Orthodox traditions? Right. So it's appointed to be done. I'll, I'll put that word in, done, rather than read, chanted, sung, or whatever. At the beginning of the service, regardless of the service of Vespers, the only time it's not appointed, as I said, is during Bright Week. 
Now, how it's done will vary partly as a result of the type of Vespers that's being celebrated, the kind of level of solemnity associated with that. And partly it will be done differently depending on the particular Orthodox tradition, whether it's a local church or a particular cultural inheritance and so forth. I mean, one of the common differences, say, between the Greek churches and the Slavic churches, and I use those terms broadly, you know, so Greek often takes into account churches in the Middle East, like Antioch and Jerusalem, as well as Alexandria in Egypt. And then Slavic would be all of the churches that came out of the missions to, to the Slavs. So everything from the Russian church through the Ukrainian, Bulgarian, Serbian, etc. One of the differences is that the Slavic churches have a way of reading, and this goes for the Psalms as well as other parts that are read in the in the services, things like the Trisagion prayers, Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal, etc. They have a way of reading that is actually chanted. So it's 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 sung but in a monotone with mainly on one note with some variation at the ends of phrases or in the middle of phrases, just to give it a little bit of of interest, but it's chanted, uh, we would say in English. But I mean, the technical word is read, but in a monotone. Whereas in Greek churches today, that actually literally tends to be read, which is something that very few Slavs ever do in liturgical tradition. You know, even when reading an epistle or a gospel, it's chanted. So that's one of the differences that you will encounter. If, if you go to a Greek church for daily Vespers, Psalm 103 will be read in a spoken reading voice. Whereas at the Russian or Serbian church down the road, it will be chanted by a reader in, in a sort of, sort of monotone chant. The other thing to point out is who does the reading? In those Slavic churches, it can tend to just be any reader. You know, anybody can be appointed, you know, go, you go and read today, Psalm 103. And it's normally read either from the kleros or from, from the middle of the church. But in any case, anybody is appointed to do that. There's a real understanding, and this actually is in the rubrics or in the typicon that it should be like several other parts of the service read or chanted by the senior presider. So if it were in a monastery, it would be the abbot. If it were the cathedral, it would be the bishop if he were present. If it were a parish church, the senior person on the kleros. So not the person presiding at the service, the person who gave the opening blessing, the person who will be kind of leading prayers and so forth in the service, but there is a, a senior person present the abbot, bishop, or whoever, the senior person on the clearhouse, that this Psalm 103 is appointed to that person to be done. And we'll see later in Vespers, there are several other prayers that belong to that person as well. And then as I say, on feasts, then you're meant to ratchet it up a little bit. And that will, again, look different depending on, on different churches. There is a choral tradition, which is again favored by the sort of Slavic churches, which would take a very small part of the psalm and turn it into a quite elaborated choral piece, often in the, the four-part harmonies and so forth that are characteristic of the Russian and, and other Slavic chant traditions. So you don't get the whole psalm, you get part of it, but it's sung in a very beautiful melismatic manner. There's another tradition as a variant of that where the melismatic bit would continue as refrains, but somebody would nevertheless chant the whole psalm. I think that's quite a, a nice balance between the two because you don't really want to miss any of the beauty of this psalm. 
In Greek tradition, it's rather different. Often the psalm starts the way it does kind of on any other day. But as it goes on, it gets picked up into the chant tradition, often Byzantine chant, and gets more and more elaborate and lengthy to the point that I have been at Vesper services in Greek parishes where the Byzantine chant is being used. And this opening psalm can take most of an hour to do. And that would be their way of contributing to the all-night part of an all-night vigil. And it's usually just the latter part. You'd think by the time they got two-thirds of the way through, they, you know, they were going to be done the whole thing in a couple of minutes. But then it just gets lengthened and lengthened using very, very elaborated chants and so forth. But again, regardless of what method is being used here, the point is that something is being done to really draw attention to the importance of the occasion, the solemnity of the feast, and just the kind of gloriousness of, of that opening psalm. And it's it's remarkable that in a relatively centralized tradition that we have in the Eastern or Byzantine Rite, there's such variety, and um, and nobody really falls out over these things. That uh, you know, I think you get a bit of grumbling here and there about people not doing things the correct way, by which they mean the way I know in my parish. But largely, it's celebrated as just this wonderful variety and and difference that we can uh, that we can enjoy in the Orthodox Church. Well, I think that we've covered the topic, Father Jeffrey. Unless there's anything else that you want to add or or or, uh, or subtract. I think at this point I'd be inventing things, you know, from early church history, which, you know, there are liturgical theologians who are wont to do that, but I'm not among them. I think if we, we need to, you know, hold up our hands and say what we don't know. But, I mean, the fact is it's come to us this way and it's marvelous. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Enacting the Kingdom. For bonus episodes and content, or if you'd simply like to see this show continue, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. See you next time.